0: the kind of woman society and media portrays as standard of beauty is mainly a male perspective of how attractive a woman is to them.
1: The media often presents the perfect, ideal and beautiful girl as having a tall and thin figure who's usually fair-skinned with specific facial features like having big eyes or a tall nose bridge.
0: The models that do get featured are generally slim, have clear skin and facial proportions that pertain to beauty standards. Meanwhile, images of models who are chubby with acne or disabilities are considered as activism, as opposed to being just a photo shoot.
1: Most of the times we are looking at girls that look very, very, very skinny. They are totally slender and they have European
0: uh, features. Perfect glowing, acne free skin, not having any body hair, and always have makeup on. Hey guys, and welcome to the first episode of Little Miss Media. We're your hosts, Melissa
1: and Brianna, and this is a podcast about the media. Today, we're going to be talking about how the media shapes our self worth and our perception of beauty.
0: In this episode, we're specifically going to be looking at how magazines and advertisements, movies and TV shows, social media and filters affect our perception of beauty.
1: So without further ado, let's dive into it. So, I think we need to stress how important the media is in shaping how we view not only ourselves, but everyone around us, our status, how the world is made, and how society is functioning. And when we see an image in a magazine or in an ad and it's associated with something positive, well, we're going to start thinking that we have to buy that product or look like that person Mm -hmm. to get that positive feeling. What I can think of is perfume brands, right? Like Mm -hmm. you see those perfume ads, and you have this glamorous lady, and she's living in this apartment in Europe,
0: (laughs) and (laughs)
1: exactly, she's got this mansion, and she just sprays her perfume on, and there's a guy and he's watching her through the window, and he's like, "Oh, she's (laughs) beautiful," and then you kind of go, "Oh, wait, if I buy this perfume, maybe I'll attract someone," right? So you start associating that. I guess, positivity and that attraction with the product. You want to yeah. buy that product.
0: And in a way, these advertisements, they're actually just classically conditioning every single one of their consumers to mm-hmm. get a certain product, to look a certain way, or to, in your case, to smell a certain way in order to be deserving of love as well, which is, I think, quite harmful to a certain extent. If we're starting to tie beauty to material, which to equate that to self-love and getting love from other people. So, yeah.
1: I completely agree with you there, especially when you mentioned that classically conditioning women into thinking that. And Mel and I have both watched this documentary called The Illusionists*, And there's this quote here that I just think is so telling. It talks about how women are deeply conditioned from birth to feel that what's important about us is how we look. And I don't know if you can think of examples, Mel, but I think of when I watched media growing up and when the ugly duckling would transform into the beautiful swan, right? Mm-hmm. Like a princess diaries when For Mia sure. gets her hair all straightened and she gets her glasses yeah. taken off and they trim her eyebrows and suddenly she's a princess. She deserves to be a princess now that she's mm-hmm. beautiful.
0: There's always that makeover scene in every movie that that is a pretty common trope, especially from, I don't know, movies like In the Breakfast Club. Mm -hmm. For sure. When the girls that that one emo looking girl suddenly got a total makeover to look like the pretty dolled up prep girl. And that's when she started to get the attention of the other guys, etc. Or even from clueless as well. So these are just things that, you know, that girls are just conditioned like what you said to feel from the beginning that if I get a great makeover, I'm going to start to get attention, I'm going to start to get love. (laughs)
1: <laughs> mm, that is so true. And then if we start looking at the magazines, if we start looking at these advertisements, if we've already been right conditioned to believe that our beauty is what gives us love, is what gives us attention, well then if all these girls in these ads are beautiful, if they're all surrounded by, I don't know, fawning guys and friends in a popular social life, well then we're going to start wanting those products. So we have to look at what sort of girls are being put In these ads to promote these products. And I know you and I come from a pretty different cultural background. I come from Australia
0: Mm -hmm. and I'm from Malaysia. But even in Malaysia, growing up, um, it was always pictures of Caucasian women, usually, even Mm -hmm. in an Asian country. That was pretty much, I remember growing up idolizing Caucasian looks, blonde hair and the fair skin as well, and um, the body types of, you know, getting like thigh gaps and. Yeah, being tall, which is something that not a lot of Asians usually naturally have. But because that's been advertised to us so much as children, I remember actually having lots of girls my age as a kid, idolizing a lot of Western looks. So that was the idea of beauty um, growing up for me, which is quite interesting looking back at it now. I can
1: almost relate to that. I'm only half Asian, but growing up in Australia, the beauty image was definitely blonde, tanned, and skinny. I remember desperately wanting to be tan and have blonde hair. I really wanted blonde hair. Yeah, you'd look at the magazines, you look at the advertisements, and when you had the Australian girl, she was blonde. She had freckles, she had tan, she had blue eyes. That's a big one. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: And I felt inadequate, which is just sad to think that you're a five-year-old and you shouldn't feel bad about how you look. You shouldn't feel that you're worse But yeah, I feel like a lot of kids saw that as the beauty image and it didn't help that also in the media, in TV shows, the main character was often blonde and her sidekick would be a brunette or her sidekick would be a POC or I think Barbie movies. I don't know if you watched a lot of Barbie movies. Oh God, yes. (laughs) That really cemented, I guess, blonde supremacy in my head where I was like, oh, gosh, the blondes are the heroes and Mm. the non-blondes are either side characters or villains, (laughs) which Mm. is a not good worldview.
0: Exactly. Just tying back to what you said about how, you know, the quote from from the documentary about how women are conditioned since birth about the idea of beauty, it's sad that at five years old, we're already thinking about what is beautiful, what makes somebody beautiful, which is something that a kid shouldn't really think about, I feel. We should just be kids. But with magazines, especially if you're just sitting in the living room and your mother's, you know, reading the magazine, it's just unavoidable.
1: And also just one of the things you mentioned with your experience was how the westernized image, despite you growing up in Asia, was still the predominant image, right? Mm -hmm. And that kind of ties into another sort of quote I saw in the documentary that we watched where they talked about how we're losing the diversity of bodies we're losing bodies just like we're losing languages just as English is sort of becoming like a global language I suppose now the image of the white blondified small-nosed long-legged tall skinny body is becoming sort of a global ideal which is sad because we come from such a diverse world with all these different bodies with all these different skin tones uh, noses. I think noses is a big one. You see on TikTok oh, how many yeah. girls are getting nose jobs, which I mean, that's your choice, but we're losing this diversity of different noses. I noticed
0: that. Mm. I like to see different noses every now and then. <laughs> Me too. I love like
1: Greek, <laughs> Roman yeah. noses. I think that's beautiful. Oh. I feel like we're only pushing that one sort of nose is acceptable. Mm-hmm. I mean, we do that with a lot of body features, but mm. I see it with the nose.
0: Because just thinking about diversity, I feel like something like that is I feel like the youth nowadays are making it more aware that you know, we, ha- we have different bodies and we have to be proud about these things. But because I feel like generally the media is still pushing a certain standard I- idea of beauty and it's something that is hard to shake off because they've been doing, been doing that for years now. It's just kind of hard to really get into that mindset that, yeah, I am beautiful despite what the media is telling me, even though I'm made aware that I am pretty because we are all diversified in our own way, it's just incredibly hard to shake off that mentality, I guess.
1: Another thing there is how the media, even if you want to feel pretty, even if you feel pretty, the media is tied to advertisers. We can't deny that. Advertisers shape the content we see. They pay for it. They're the ones who fund it. And advertisers are connected to industry and so when we look at the beauty industry they might promote oh feel beautiful about yourself feel empowered but in reality they want you to feel bad about yourself because they want you to feel insecure so that you buy their products to make you feel more secure and so we kind of have to look at that then how do magazines kind of promote that? Well, they tell you, oh, new beauty tips. This is what's in, this is what's out. Oh, these days it's not cool to have thin eyebrows. You need to get them, I think it's laminated to make them look thicker or you need to, uh, I don't know, treat your skin with this. uh, SPF, even though that is an amazing thing, that kind of even promotes sort of anti-aging tendencies where they're like if you don't use SPF if you don't buy this brand then you're going to get wrinkles it's just Mm -hmm. constantly coming up with something for you to feel insecure about so that you buy their product
0: basically your insecurity is their profit
1: I think you're completely on the ball with that like as long as you (laughs) look in the mirror and you basically hate yourself that's what they want
0: Mm -hmm. exactly yep
1: one thing that's kind of interesting is cellulite is actually
0: Mm. it it
1: appeared for the first time in a magazine in a vogue magazine
0: i had no idea what cellulite was until i remember as a kid i did see it on tv oh it was a magazine i can't really remember anymore and i did ask my mom what on earth was cellulite Mm -hmm. and she had to explain to me oh it's just something that you know we have sometimes but there are different ways to get rid of it but you see even my mom as wise as she is and I love her (laughs) even she has been affected by the way marketing works and the way how media is telling us oh cellulite is a bad thing we want to get rid of that the same way how wrinkles are pretty much (laughs) anti-beauty in a way so yeah
1: I completely agree and how like we look at old uh, paintings for example and the women in those paintings they have you know bigger bodies. They have rolls, they have lines, and that was still considered beautiful. But now that's considered unsightly. You need to buy anti-cellulite creams to get rid of it. If you have stretch marks, you need to get, I don't know, whitening cream to get rid of that. It's just sad how they just don't want you to be secure. And I look at it as a few, this is my sort of in real life case study that I experienced is Mm -hmm. a few years ago, all the skincare companies were being about, you have to exfoliate your skin, buy all these like quite harsh exfoliating products. And then they wanted us to use them. So a lot of us use them. We just followed blindly. And I feel like quite a few people might have damaged their skin barriers. And now they're promoting all these gentle serums that restore your skin barrier
0: that everything Mm. do you see how that links (laughs) oh yeah definitely Mm. yeah I remember going to the cinema as a kid as well and we used to have a lot of advertisements playing before the movie and there was this one particular advertisement that stood out to me so much it was about this girl who had a severe case of acne she got this cream she put Mm -hmm. it on and the next day she was completely fine and after that her hair was blowing in the wind the sun was up and all (laughs) the boys started to look at her. And I I had acne back then as well. And I remember feeling really, really bad about myself, especially after seeing advertisements like that, because I was just thinking, wow, I am not near perfect. I am not beautiful because I have these things on my face, which is actually something just natural, but it's not. But because of the way advertisements are pushing you to get several products that will get rid of these characteristics it feels as if they're just really bad things to have yeah
1: it's like yeah we've kind of mentioned it but the ideal consumer is someone who is constantly dissatisfied who constantly needs more and who feels that products will make them feel better so if they make you insecure about your acne if they make you insecure about I don't know, discoloration on your skin, well, then you're going to want to buy acne creams. You're going to want to buy acne treatments, even if a lot of them don't work. And we kind of look mm-hmm. at this at like weight loss treatments, how weight loss industry is has like a massive fail rate. Most mm-hmm. diets, most of these miracle diets or miracle skinny drinks or whatever, people fail on them. But because the media is constantly pushing this image of skinny is good, skinny is perfection, people are going to keep buying every new weight loss product and it'll still become a booming industry because they want you to feel insecure. They don't want you to feel good about yourself.
0: That just ends up being a really vicious cycle. Mm -hmm. Yeah. They produce products. You keep getting them, you keep buying them, and they're just going to keep producing more and more. And no one's going to break out of that mindset. But then that leads to, to the question, where's the line between marketing business and actually taking care of a consumer's mental health?
1: But just <laughs> think about that for a second.
0: How are these Super people shot.
1: exploiting how you think about yourself, about your self-worth, and how are you buying into these new makeups? Why does that make us feel empowered? Why can't we feel happy in our natural skin? And I'm not shaming anyone who uses makeup. I use makeup. But I just, I think it's food for thought. Thinking about why do we need makeup to feel better? Why do we need weight loss treatment to try and feel better? Why can't we feel good in our natural skin? Because the media doesn't want us to feel good in our natural skin. (laughs)
0: that i would like to bring up is the fact that certain beauty tropes being brought up in movies and tv shows over and over and over again in a way isn't that just basically brainwashing its viewers to think Mm. a certain look or a certain style equates to beauty
1: yeah yeah i think that is very true
0: isn't it funny how the moment you take off your glasses you immediately deem that's beautiful As if glasses actually makes you look bad and geek too geeky to be dating.
1: (laughs) Well, there are some attributes like that. For example, long hair is often tied to femininity. And the second a girl cuts off her hair or has short hair or a pixie cut, she's different. She's weird. She's unique. She went through a breakup. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Like um, I think we discussed one time about in Scott Pilgrim, And the character Knives, after she's broken up with, she cuts her hair, she (laughs) dyes it in the bathroom, and she's changed now. She's strong. She's angry. Mm -hmm. It's just like, why is that so, such a rebellious move to cut off your hair? Mm -hmm. Like, why is that spurning femininity? Why is that rebellion? It's just hair. Mm -hmm. Why is it so tied to us?
0: Mm -hmm. It it just shows that movies are just conveying the message that to women in general, Beauty directly reflects them, their personality, and it becomes their label mm.
1: at the end of the day. I think that's a good point and how I – it's kind of different for guys where guys in movies, there is an expectation if you want to be like the Hollywood leading man. Yes, you're going to look like Chris Hemsworth, or Chris Evans, or the other Chris, the, All the hundreds Chris's. of Chrises. <laughs> <laughs> but – I also think there's still room in Hollywood for men who are just playing your lovable goof, your average guy. And you see a lot of Hollywood men who have that Jack Black. Again, I love him. Adam Sandler. I don't know, the guy who played Paul Barton, I don't remember his (laughs) name, but there's space (laughs) for them, right? Mm -hmm. And they have these movies where they're goofy, they're kind of silly, they're not your average Hollywood man but they still get this amazing model-like girlfriend. (laughs) They don't have to change themselves really to get the girlfriend. But then we look at women in Hollywood. When do we ever get a non-conventionally attractive woman playing that sort of role and being accepted for it? We don't really get that. Even like someone like Amy Schumer, I guess, is meant to be like that, but she's still pretty conventionally attractive. Mm -hmm, Like when, like, I don't know, it doesn't seem to be equal there. I feel like women's appearance in Hollywood, even if they're meant to be non-conventionally attractive, they're still conventionally attractive. Like, as you said, the geek with the glasses. We kind of discussed this a little bit earlier with female driven movies if you're going to get the guy you're going to have to get a makeover you're going to have to change yourself uh and i think even the point of clueless as you brought you kind of brought up earlier Mm -hmm. and it's like why do girls have to have that transformation to then get the guy
0: it's actually really interesting if any of you listeners are a film student it would be really interesting to investigate how this started in the first place and why this trope this archetype actually came to be yeah, like movies are arguably, well, they are re- a reflection of the society we live in today. So what does that say about society?
1: <laughs> Mel and I both study journalism, but I mm-hmm. also study media. I look at it as, and this is going to sound so preachy, the majority of Hollywood, the majority of directors in most film industries are male. The majority of screenwriters are male. Most of the people in okay. these high positions are Male cinema and film and TV is a very male-driven pursuit. It's very much from a male perspective.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Now, another thing, another thing we wanted to bring up was the halo effect in For the sure. media and mm-hmm. how good guys are pretty and mm-hmm. bad guys are typically ugly. And mm-hmm. I see this in a lot of children's media what do you think about that, Mel?
0: The witch always has like that long, pointy nose. Oh, yeah. probably has like a bump every now and then. Hunchback, always with a cackle on the, on her broom, etc. So that is because so I important. I used to teach children um for speech and drama etc. And I would always ask them and tell the stories about um you know different kids' stories. And when I point at certain pictures, and I'll be like, "So do you think this person's a bad guy or a good guy?" And usually, if the person's well, not conventionally angelic looking, not as innocent, not as pretty looking. Kids will just immediately point the fingers and say, that's the bad guy. And I'll be like, okay, so why is that? Mm, because she looks like this. Because he looks like that. <laughs> <No>. <laughs>
1: yeah.
0: And sometimes it just makes me think, okay, whoa, who taught you stuff like that? To, to immediately label someone's beauty to their personality, to as to to define them as a good person or a bad person so yeah definitely the halo effect is something that is has been pushed into our faces since we were incredibly young
1: i completely agree there are movies that try to subvert it um i think of hunchback i was watching hunchback the other day and i actually think they kind of fungled it like quasimodo is an amazing guy and the movie points that out He's not a monster. He's a man. He's being treated badly because of how he looks. But when he first goes out into Paris, well, they treat him terribly for being not attractive. But then after he, you know, defends Notre Dame and saves Esmeralda, then when he goes out into the, the courtyard, then everyone accepts him and hugs him. And But it's like he had to earn that. Do you get Mm -hmm. what I'm saying? Like, he had to earn that respect. He couldn't just be treated well from the beginning, even though he looked badly. And maybe that's kind of reflective of real life. But I feel like that's a sad message to show kids. Mm -hmm. Can't believe that was a kids film. (laughs) I know. Like, oh, my gosh, Hunchback of Notre Dame is dark.
0: I can't believe I watched that as a kid. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. associating beauty with popularity is something that the Duff. I'm not sure if you've seen that movie oh, but yeah, they no, really no. pointed that out about how the girl was just completely normal but because she's in a group of two other girls with two other girls who were deemed to be conventionally and incredibly preppy and beautiful she's mm-hmm. the that girl in the group that no one really pays attention to yeah yeah because yeah. she isn't dressed properly in a way and yeah I remember well, at that time, I actually kind of liked that movie because I felt like I had some hope back then when, <laughs> when I was 15.
1: <laughs> the Duff. I feel like the Duff had such a terrible effect on society, despite it trying <laughs> to have a positive message. Because then right. we all became, like, aware of the concept of a Duff. Like, I never knew Oh, my knew God, that yeah. Good. And Me then that too. movie came around and I'm like, Am I the Duff? Yeah. <laughs> like, who's the Duff? <laughs> no, it doesn't have to be a Duff. What the heck? We shouldn't be assigning that.
0: Like, that's awful. I used to have the Duff as my Instagram bio caption as well. <laughs> no! What the hell? I tried to be optimistic. you <laughs> Did you put I'm yourself
1: not. as the Duff? I actually did, bio. yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, you guys can't see me right now listening, but I'm literally shocked. I'm like, my mouth is open. I was like, what? No. She almost fell off the chair.
0: <laughs> I've
1: done that before, but <laughs> no, that's terrible. That's actually like I know a clear like example. <laughs> it's yeah, been really sad. I'm <laughs> oh, sorry. You guys can't see a picture of Mel right now, but Mel's gorgeous. So like, no. that. <laughs> Oh my gosh.
0: Well, that's a pretty sad way to end this segment. I- <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, on the bright side, let's, let's kind of, let's actually end it on a, this little segment on a nicer ending. That's really <laughs> <Yes>. depressing. <laughs> Look, I think these days with social media, we're seeing a lot of more, I guess, diversity of bodies. So we're, we're getting ad campaigns being forced to have more diversity and Force diversity is the wrong way to put it. They're putting more diversity in there, and that's a great thing for kids to grow up with. We're seeing Disney shows now that have gay couples, that have unconventional leads, and that's a great thing for kids to see. Kids now get to see protagonists that look like them, that aren't all this beautiful, unattainable person. They get to see protagonists who are plus size, who are people of colour, who have curly hair. There's still not as much as I would like, But it's getting there. So there is hope. (laughs) There's definitely some hope. So it's pretty undeniable. How important social media is to us. We put our entire lives on Instagram. We look at outfits of the day. We look at all these beautiful influencers who have gorgeous skin, beautiful hair, beautiful clothes. And a lot of us go, Gosh, I wish I looked like that. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and
1: so we're gonna kind of look at that now: influences and social media, how that affects our yeah. perception of ourselves and beauty.
0: In regards to how beauty is being promoted in social media, the one thing I can really think about now is how K-pop is being, it's a huge thing and how people are comparing themselves in regards to like the beauty standards that these idols have, because in a way they are influencers in their own way. And this is something that we kind of discussed behind the scenes as well about how these people have money. They have stylists. It's their job to look pretty because that's what they're trying to sell and they're trying to promote their music, trying to promote certain brands and I was about to say objects, promote certain brands, etc. And to some people, that's just unattainable to a normal everyday person. We can't get that much care in order to look like a Greek god or goddess.
1: (laughs) (laughs) No, that is completely right. I think of idols as well a lot. Like, they're gorgeous, unnaturally gorgeous. That's the point. (laughs) That's the point is these people are carefully curated because they're beautiful, because they're talented. You can't, most of us can't compare ourselves to that, just like models or other influencers who are literally paid for being beautiful. That's their job. Like, as long as you're average and healthy and normal That's fine. But the average, normal, healthy person isn't going to look like that because as much as I hate to say it, a lot of those beauty standards are not healthy. And so if you are just a totally average, normal, healthy person, you're not going to look like that. And that's kind of natural. That is natural. But the media then promotes being average as actually the wrong thing
0: everything is very carefully created by a huge team of people and just bringing this back closer to home and about you know our usage of instagram or um mm-hmm. the internet every post that an influencer posts or you know you and me every single picture has been carefully thought mm-hmm. <laughs> you always want to represent the best part of yourself so that's, i don't know about you but you know there's always a certain way to sit so your thighs don't look as <laughs> spread, <laughs> or, or you always when you're standing you have to stand as straight as possible so mm-hmm. your thighs don't look as if they're touching etc these are things that it's, it's actually really sad that these are tricks that we actually know to do in order to take that pretty picture to post on your Instagram account for that yeah. for those likes all those comments etc so yeah definitely everything is heavily curated and that's just something that slips our mind most of the time I feel.
1: No, totally. How, yeah, Instagram is a curated thing. Most people's Instagrams are a persona. We publish the best parts of our life, the most exciting parts of our life. No one's going to post a picture of themselves straight out of bed when they've got crust around their eyes and their hair's all (laughs) messy. But that's just the reality of it. Instagram is not reality.
0: It's fiction. That is such a good quote. (laughs) <laughs> i felt I'm like a poet then i was like "Yeah, it's not reality <laughs> instagram is not reality brianna 2021
1: <laughs> wow i'm so deep i'm just wow so <laughs> but you mentioned to me how you were kind of a tumblr user back in the day
0: did that affect yeah. you growing up do you think for sure i feel like the moment tumblr kicked in for a lot of the young people which i am still a young person <laughs> but um that's when fashion trends really started to, you know, pick up, I feel. And the very first fashion trend I could really remember was the thigh gap phase. I don't oh, know if that's the gosh. same thing in Australia as well. Oh, when I thought of the thigh gap, I thought it was something that I, I, I immediately associated that picture with the usual pretty preppy girl that you would always see on TV shows and movies, because that's what they usually have. Yeah, And girls around me, they started doing, you know, those five to 10 minute exercise videos right. get a thigh gap on youtube and that sort of actually became a routine for me for a for a bit so i actually got influenced by that and looking back at that that was just not great at all mm-hmm. um to to try to work so hard to have a body that you that is just so n- unnaturally attainable for you mm-hmm. in particular because some people can get it some people can't but why does that certainly define beauty and no, that's yeah. why i think that body trends when trends come into like body types body shapes I think that's a very dangerous thing and I personally have no idea why this is even a thing like the the big butt trend right now or like you know the the incredibly small waist trend Yep. you have girls buying corsets to get a certain shape to mm-hmm. to force and mold their body into something that they just can't they're just not naturally born with if it goes to the extent where it actually becomes harmful to one's mental state, that's when it becomes an issue. And I do think that's how harmful social media can be.
1: And that's, as you said, it's terrifying once our bodies become trends and we start getting these like procedures and that, that really do affect our bodies. That's, it's scary to me. Like, it is your body. You have autonomy over it. Do whatever you want. But starts becoming scary when you literally have to modify your body with surgery and plastic to feel good about yourself. That does kind of scare me. And I don't blame the women. I blame a society that almost makes women think that they have to get these surgeries to feel worthy. That's just sad. And it's kind of unavoidable when you literally have media that shows you an image of beauty and beauty equaling happiness, well, then that's going to be what you want. You're going to aspire for that. And it's, it goes for men too. It's not just women. We've been talking mostly about women because we are yeah. with, we're women, so we have a, a female perspective. But it goes for the same for men. Uh, I think of Fair and Lovely, which is that Indian skin whitening cream. They also have a product that targets men. And in the advertisements, the men who don't have white skin, they're shown as, oh, you can't get the girls. You can't have a cool social life. Also shaving. Now you get ads that really target male body hair. I mean, body hair is natural. I mean, same goes for women. Women are absolutely annihilated for having body hair. For sure, yeah. It just goes to show men are affected by this too. The media just doesn't want anyone to feel happy because Mm -hmm. the industries who fund the media want you to buy their products, regardless if you're a male, regardless if you're a woman, regardless if you're any identity. They just don't want you to feel good.
0: Exactly. And just tying that back to a quote that you brought up earlier that I really like about how social media is demonizing us for having natural bodies. Mm-hmm. It made me immediately think about the presence and creation of filters and how people are becoming so dependent on filters that they are no longer comfortable with taking pictures of them in their natural state.
1: Yeah. I think we all went through a phase growing up with Snapchat mm-hmm. filters. <laughs> uh, and the yeah, dog I filter. I'm like... <laughs> yeah. I remember like literally every girl's Facebook picture had a filter, had a Snapchat filter. Yeah. <laughs> and these filters would change your jaw shape, they change your mm. eye color, they'd change your eye shape a bit and you'd get mm. to the point where you felt comfortable as the filter and you didn't like your natural
0: face. Because you're not used to it anymore. Yeah, you yeah. get used to
1: the filter, you.
0: Exactly. scary. <laughs> Growing up in Malaysia, we had, apps like snow i'm not sure if you mm. use that a lot here in australia but snow our eyes would get like you know really cute and big um which the documentary also pointed out was something that was generally deemed as beauty and incredibly feminine so that's why like you know lot of, lots of girls including myself used it a lot back then mm-hmm. um, Acne, acne free skin and um blemish free and just smaller jaw all of that stuff and yeah, it took a while for a few people, a couple of people to really grow out of using snow, I guess. <laughs> I for think
1: sure. snow, snow, well, because Melissa and I are both Asian. Uh, and I think snow has sort of a grip <laughs> on <laughs> the Asian community. Yeah. Um, a lot of the filters on snow make your skin paler. They widen your skin. They get rid of blemishes, but they, yeah, they make your skin pale. They reshape your jaw. They make your eyes a little bit bigger. And these don't seem like massive changes. So you might not even realize how you're changing it. But then when you get to a point where you're only comfortable taking pictures with that filter that changes your features, even just a tiny bit, that's still an issue. Where you can't feel comfortable with your natural self, and that's scary. <laughs> I keep saying that's scary, but it's true, right? Like that, it our natural true, self yeah. is just lost.
0: Especially in this day and age, when kids are very prone to using social media every day, it mm-hmm. just gets very concerning. While well, society and community in general is just feeding them all these different comparisons between, you know, different kinds of filters and um, what looks good, etc. It's just something completely different from when you and I were growing up. I don't remember having this much pressure on how I looked. I mean, I did have that pressure, but it wasn't tenfold (laughs) as it is now. And it's actually completely
1: normal for kids to want to look like grownups, for kids to want to look like teenagers. It's like an evolutionary thing. But then we have these industries exploiting this natural evolutionary trait they show them images of kids their age wearing these amazing clothes wearing makeup and they're marketing it directly for kids they're getting influencers who have young fan bases to promote makeup to promote oh buy off this website buy these clothes So a quote from the documentary, and I really recommend watching this documentary, it provides so much context to what Melissa and I have been speaking about, is that the sexualization of children is not really about sex. It's really about consuming. And the real point is to turn these children into consumers at a very young age. Because if you can eroticize shopping in childhood Then you'll get these people lined up at the mall, at the shopping centre, online, on eBay, Boohoo, Depop, whatever you will, for the rest of their lives. They're going to be consumers. They're going to buy off this industry. They're going to equate happiness with social media, with being popular, with being beautiful. And that is what these companies want.
0: This is why I think it's incredibly important that influencers are aware of the role that they can play in a young girl's or guy's life Mm -hmm. because be careful of the way you represent yourself you still need to represent yourself realistically even if you're promoting certain makeup brands or fashion brands because kids are going to look up to you and kids are going to try to follow in your footsteps the same way a little girl is going to try to wear heels everywhere she goes because she sees her mom wearing them. It's okay if you want to experiment with makeup, etc. But like what you said, when it is done to the point where it's a bit too excessive, like you're already trying to be like an adult at such a young age, or modify the way you look at such a young age, then yeah, it's, it's just really important that influencers know what they're doing, I guess. I guess to wrap up after everything that we've talked about, it just goes to show that beauty standards always change no matter what area you're in, et cetera. There's this famous, well, this pretty well-known YouTuber that I quite occasionally follow called Vlogulatus. I'm really sorry if I butcher <laughs> her YouTube handle, but she made a video about, how, about the different kinds of ideal body types going from the early 1900s all the way till now. And to emphasize the point that you can never have the perfect body because standards change all the time. If you were to try to accommodate your body to these so-called trends, these ideal body types, you are making yourself a slave to the system because that's how the industry wants you to think. That's how they want you to feel. So I just want to say, stop being a slave to the system (laughs) and look into your own self-worth. And yeah, and there's this quote that she said that I really, really liked which was stop treating your body like fast fashion. And I felt that that tied really beautifully with the first segment we talked about, about advertising and marketing and how the industry is feeding all of these different ideas of beauty into our heads.
1: I completely agree. And we have to kind of think who controls the media because whoever controls the media decides the society we live in. So why do we let a handful of corporations define what masculinity and femininity should look like? And I think nowadays we can challenge this wealthy elite who owns the media with the advent of the internet. You can become the role model you wanted to see as a kid. You can become the representation. And there are amazing content creators online who show diversity of beauty
0: really pleasing to see that there are more and more content creators, especially on Instagram now showing different comparisons on. So this is how it looks like when I post, but when I'm sitting down normally, this is actually how I look like with all the body rolls, the thighs, etc. cetera. Are, we are normalizing normal bodies again. And that is something that I truly appreciate and I hope continues into the future after this podcast has been released.
1: (laughs) No, I completely agree with you. We can create healthy media and people are creating healthy media. And that's also the more people create healthy media and demand healthy media, the more these companies have to listen because yes, they are powerful. But at the end of the day, They still have to create product that people want to buy. So if you're demanding representation, if you're demanding unconventional beauty, if you're demanding realism, then eventually, if there is enough momentum, there will be change. There will be progress. So as much as we've been talking about the doom and gloom, there is hope. (laughs) There is hope and we can, well, we, you, anyone can create this It just needs the momentum. And I think to end it, I want you to think about this. If women and men looked in the mirror and decided that they liked what was reflected back at them, then we would have to reshape capitalism as we knew it. But I have also realised that recently, many brands such as those on social media which carry clothing brands have employed models with curvier figures that don't necessarily reflect the standard that I've described as a way to potentially challenge the standard.
0: From what I've seen, the media has become much more accepting of non-Eurocentric features. And now we see more curvy girls, dark skin, maybe ethnic girls like Asians and black girls also being portrayed in magazines. This is something that we must uh,
1: look and teach our youngs that um, sometimes is just uh, an image, is not reality. Thank you so much for listening to the first episode of Little Miss Media. So once again, I'm Brianna.
0: I'm Melissa. And remember, the power of beauty is in your hands.